Previously on TV DNA's House of the Dragon episode. I would like to change my death, if that's all right. Okay. I'd like to change from Fleabag's dad to Krispy Kreme. Okay. I mean, you're going to be gutted if Fleabag's dad does die in the next episode. But, you know. You know. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA House of the Dragon Episode 9, The Green Council. I am Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, Adam Henning, and I am joined by Damien Cooper. He's a wastrel who's never taken half an interest in his birthright. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? (laughs) Or many, many a time. She's a decent woman with no taste for depravity. It's Grace the Peaceful. Feed the weaver, guys. Feed the weaver. He's the beast beneath the boards, a further peel in this stinking onion. It's Neil Shepek. Well, my taste are known to be far more discriminating. How you grown, all of you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness me. What what an episode, eh? Yeah. Some cracking stuff in this. Uh, any any oh. initial thoughts, anyone, Neil? To be honest, episode nine with Game of Thrones generally tends to be like the shocker episode. So whether that's Ned Stark being beheaded or the Red Wedding or Blackwater or or whatever it is. And I didn't feel we quite got that in the same way that we have done with Game of Thrones. But I am aware that the last episode, episode 10, we're going to get dragon fights with dragon riders. And oh, my God, that could definitely make it up for me. The trailer is pretty dragon heavy for the finale. And I'm sure we'll talk about that when we come to make our predictions. How about you, Grace? Any thoughts on the episode? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It did feel like a classic penultimate kind of getting everything in position for a, a you know a massive blowout at the end. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think the pace was amazing. I mean, I must have stopped it every minute and a half to write something down, uh, which meant it probably took about an hour and a half to watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I really loved it. I really loved it. Yeah, it's a cracker of an episode, isn't it? A lot went on. I, I guess the, the main thing for me is I, I just want to check about something for last week that our first choice actually can't be changed. Is that right? So what we decide has to stay even. I think that was an error that was made towards the end of the... I mean, if it happens during the closing music of the episode, it doesn't count. Is, is it something like that, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> No. I laughed out loud. <laughs> Lord Beesbury. It was so good. He will drone no more. R.I.P. Lyman Beesbury. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted something that occurred to me, which maybe was obvious the first time around. We got the little flashback of what had happened previously and that moment of Viserys saying, my love, at the end. And it occurred to me that this is him seeing Emma as he's dying. That's fair. Yeah, enough. definitely. Just a thing, I thought. Also, I quite enjoyed not having a time jump for once. That was quite enjoyable. They were enjoyable in different ways, but this, I was really glad that we would just get stuck in straight away. Not only did we not have a time jump, but the whole episode was focused on King's Landing. So everything in that episode took place either in the Red Keep or in Flea Bottom, but in and around King's Landing. We weren't jumping across to other locations at all. I was going to say, we, we had no Team Targaryen. No. At all. This was this was high tower tastic. It really felt like King's Landing was a character within the episode. I think, you know, at the beginning, you almost had this castle in mourning. It was empty and it was dark and a big contrast to the scenes at the end of the episode. But I just thought it was a really, really lovely way to start this episode off. And um, even though we were missing Team Targaryen, what I really liked as well was we got a lot of the other houses, right? It felt like... You know, we've had a lot of Hightower versus Targaryen. I mean, that's been the central premise of the whole thing. But actually, all these other houses coming in and actually being quite crucial at this point. I really liked that as well. Well, also, I mean, all different houses are a major part of what is about to happen. Even if you've not read the books, you you can absolutely understand that this is... Well, it's all about the Game of Thrones again and all the various houses vying for their position of power. Even if they are two households, both alike in dignity, blah, 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 blah. Is that a direct quote? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the problem was I didn't actually say it in the iambic pentameter, so it should be blah 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 blah. No, is that right? <laughs> I don't think Shakespeare wrote the blahs. <laughs> so we, we follow a small boy through the castle until he reaches Talia and whispers something to her. And then we see Alicent telling Otto what Viserys said to her, that, she, that he wanted Egon to be king. And we see Talia lighting some candles in a window. Definitely just for ambiance, right? <laughs> What's interesting is, what is she lighting? She's lighting seven candles, Craig David. So she's, you know, it's the new gods. Although we let it find out what the, the real reasoning is behind the lighting of those candles. There is still this whole thing. Obviously, he's a Targaryen. So like you said previously, Adam, he'd be part of the old gods gang rather than the new. I don't know how respectful that is. If she'd only lit one candle, right, they might not have seen it. There's, that window's quite a way away. So I think she lit seven just so she had enough light coming out the window. Four candles. Surely she should have lit four candles. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. I just want to double back on when she finds out and she gets given the information. Alison is genuinely distraught, even though she was only with him last night and was aware that it was pretty much, you know, headed towards the end. And then she immediately says, tell no one. So this becomes very important, valuable information that is only really discussed in the um, Hightower gang. Yeah, I mean, the Hightowers are trying to make the most of their lead, aren't they, with the information, the most of their early start. They're locking people away in rooms. They're trying to keep a lid on this thing until they can just get egg on inside the Red Keep get him crowned and everything will be fine. But yeah, I think Alison's reaction, I think I felt I felt like she was, she felt a little bit lost this episode without the series and we saw it first. And, and even though she's got Otto, I think actually she did seem a, a little bit lost. And I thought that was quite a nice character trait that came out. Obviously by the end, she was a little bit more steady. But it's interesting what you say about Alison and Otto, because it feels like they are at odds throughout this episode. We get to the, the council meeting and Otto's talking about Viserys the Peaceful, but it, it becomes pretty clear that they've had a plan in place all along and that actually what Alison has said that Viserys has said just makes that a lot easier in many ways for them. But I love the moment where he drops the news. Otto tells the council what's happened. We get this clap of thunder and then silence and then Jason Lannister pipes up about these long-laid plans. Mm. And can we just say amongst ourselves, do we believe that Viserys actually said what Alison is claiming he said? I mean, he did say what she said he said, but he didn't, she didn't, he didn't mean for her to take it the way that she did. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the case. And, and I think really the only way we're going to, fully have the closure on this is because hopefully strong was actually there walking away Craig David and was able to see that and then that becomes a bigger thing later on because to be fair to Alison it is just a genuine misunderstanding there's no malice there as is then proven by her behavior through the episode yeah he talks about Egon's dream and he's referring to Egon the Conqueror's vision that he saw which was the song of ice and fire and he, he talks about the prince who was promised and so the fact that he said prince and not princess is enough for alicent to think she knows what he's talking about but he thinks he's talking to rhaenyra about the conversation that she started earlier on in the last episode really cleverly done but the, the plans that they're making are that uh, damon's captains that are loyal to damon uh, are going to be disposed of they're going to divide up the gold for safekeeping they're going to contact their allies at River Run and High Garden. And then we find out that Alicent didn't know about any of these plans at all. She's been kept in the dark. Pretty much her, Beesbury and Sir Harold are kind of the only ones who didn't know. The maester seemed like he was in on the whole thing all along. And also the Master of Laws. Now, I did, I did a bit of digging on who the Master of Laws was because it bugged me last episode. He is Jasper Wilde, who is known as Ironrod. And in the books, he was called Ironrod by the small folk due to his unbending attitudes to the law, according to Septon Eustace. According to the court fool Mushroom, it referred to the stiffness of his member as he had fathered 29 children with four wives. 
too much information. <laughs> he did seem to be rather put out by having to attend the council an hour early and and maybe he would have liked that extra hour of sleep or, and or recovery from maybe a hard night. Cassian Andor wasn't in it. I, 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 sorry, I don't get that. No, neither do I, because Damien and I are cool. I thought I'd throw your gag back at you. Someone who's not... That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> no, incorrect. No. Anyway, someone who's not particularly happy about the plans is... Dear old Lyman Beesbury, this is seizure, it is theft, it is treason. I loved this speech that he made. It was so great because he's just been this doddery old accountant, really, throughout the episode so far. But they gave him a moment in the sun before he was unceremoniously thumped onto the table. Yeah, that, that was pretty intense. Do we know he's definitely dead, though? <laughs> no, I'm joking. But... I did find it interesting that the one Scottish voice was quite quickly and brutally silent, silenced by all the English voices around it. Hashtag just saying. And much as I loved his speech, I did think he went a little bit far when he suggested the king was perfectly well the night before. <laughs> there are many, many ways you can describe Viserys, but perfectly well is, is not one that you would use. But it's on a sliding scale. The man has been near death's door for, what, 30 years? Maybe he felt that his his condition hadn't deteriorated significantly in that 24 hours. He had, like, lost a limb or part of his inner organ suddenly. Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, Adam from the future here, just to say that we lost a bit of Damien's audio at this point, but I think you get the sense of what he was saying, just to explain why it suddenly switches to a different conversation. I'll tell you who isn't a crush of mine, Krispy Kreme. I do not find him remotely charismatic. I mean, even though he like shoved Beesbury's head in on a, you know, into the marble, I was like, I don't buy that he would do that. I just, I just, I think what they've done with his character is very strange. Just a constant disappointment. My notes just have crisp in the prick. <laughs> uh, just an absolute bell and if anything i think any points that he would have someone might have got for him killing anyone should just be struck off for because he's such a dickhead <laughs> for those listeners that maybe haven't heard some of our other episodes if you're coming into this cold crispy cream is of course Kristen cole <laughs> uh, the wonderful member of the king's guard who dispatched so efficiently and slightly psychotically with Lyman Beesbury, uh, but he did earn me two points, so there is that. The other thing I loved about this, Sir Harold Westerling draws his sword and there's a, got their swords pointing at each other across the table. And I, I didn't notice until he sat back down again, but Jason Lannister must have moved pretty sharpish from his chair. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see him go. It was only when he came and sat down that I realised he'd move. <laughs> One of my favourite lines of this scene was from Alison, where she said, I can't remember who it was exactly on the small council. She says, one more word and I will have you removed from this chamber and sent to the wall. Just to remind you, the wall exists. Bring on the wall! They have to continue the council meeting with Beesbury's body sort of pooling blood on the table because they've got stuff they need to sort out before anyone is allowed to leave the room. And we finally found out what those big stones were for. They were for braining people. <laughs> at this point we we kind of really see the divide between otto and Alison, right because she's like the king did not wish for the murder of his daughter he loved her i thought that was a really strong line from Alison. and i think what's interesting is we touched on it briefly earlier but the fact that Alison didn't know about this plan they must think she's a bit of a, a loose cannon or a little bit of a loose wire like her allegiances to, to rhaenyra she can't know about the secret plan. Yeah. So they talk about they talk about Storm's End, interestingly enough, and it does come up throughout this episode. I think we're going to get some Baratheon influence at some point in the future of the show. They talk about Lord Boros Baratheon, and Alison asks what's going to happen with Rhaenyra. She says, you mean to imprison her? And we see a little flash on Sir Harold's face at that point. that He's not quite happy with that. And Otto says they'll have the chance to bend the knee, but it's clear what's going to happen. And then Orwell, the maester, asks... What's the Queen's alternative? And she doesn't really have one at that point. We get Otto commanding Sir Harold to go to Dragonstone and to be quick and clean. And he says he's Lord Commander of the King's Guard. I recognise no authority but the King's. And until there is one, I have no place here. And drops his white cloak on the table, just 
brilliant stuff. I fucking loved it. It's the measure of the man, isn't it? Crispin didn't even really think about going for him after that. And the fact that Crispin was basically able to just absolutely, Kristen, sorry, was able to basically completely cut Otto down to size. Otto small tower after that comment. Otto low tower, probably Otto low tower. And and he still walks out of there alive because I thought, oh, is Crispin going to have a little weaselly run after him and, and stab him in the back? Classic Kristen ways. But it's good. Will he make it out, though? Will he make it out of King's Landing? Will we see him with the Targaryens? I, I definitely think he's got a part to play in the future. <laughs> You'll be completely wrong, but I think Crispy Cole is uh, going to be on our screen, certainly into Series 2. Interesting. Well, he's now Lord Commander of the King's Guard. we find out later on. I mean, whilst we're on the subject of Kristen Cole, later on in the episode when they're off hunting for Aegon, uh, the costume they put him in, I was like, oh, she should have been laughed out of Flea Bottom, right? This is what I'm saying. They are doing nothing to help him. His little jaunty leather hat. Uh, let's move on then. So we get, uh, Alison um, is looking for Aegon. Uh, he's now key to this whole thing. We need to find Egon. Uh, Helen is there. She talks about if one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. She's referring to her kids fighting over stuff, but very much relates to uh, the throne. And she's embroidering a spider. Again, we get the spider's web sort of coming up later on. But Egon's not there. There's a, I, there's a really lovely moment where we see a flash of concern for her grandchildren on Alison's face kind of the weight of the war to come. And again, Helena is banging on about the beast beneath the boards. Yeah, I'd like to make a public apology to Helena because last week she said that and I thought she was just a bit pissed that actually she was making a prophecy. And she knew what she was talking about. Isn't that ironic? A woman makes a prophecy and she is ignored and proven right in the end. One of the biggest literary... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tropes that I actually love. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I can't remember if we've gone past this or not, but once they start locking Rhaenyra up, Rhaenyra, sorry, we start to see old Clubfoot Strong knocking about. And we didn't see him last episode. Yeah, it's it's just correct. He's popping in here. It's Rhaenys uh, <laughs> rather than Rhaenyra. Um, but yeah, she gets locked in her room and we see the servants being put in cells. Every It's, it's all locked down and tightly so that the word can't get out. Otto sends Sir Eric and his brother Arik incognito to find Egon in the city and bring him back to him. Very important that he comes back to him. We then get Alison sending Kristen Cole to find Egon and bring him to her. Um, and Amond goes along, but it's clear that the Egon spoon race is on. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Yes! Uh, Chapeau. Chapeau. Well, at least we've got the name of the episode early. We get this weird moment between Alison and Kristen Cole as she sends him off. Again, there's kind of this everything you feel for me is your queen. There's no suggestion really that they've done the deed or there's anything sexual between them at all. But it is, it, it just made me feel a bit icky. Like he's transferred his feelings for Renera to blind loyalty for Alison in a way. Anyone got a read on that? Absolutely. I don't think she likes him. I don't think she likes... Obviously, she doesn't like strong either. It's just a case of this is how she she does it. She's attractive. That's one of her one of her weapons. She uses that femininity to keep those people under her control, whatever control that might be. She's playing the Game of Thrones. She's absolutely as much of a politician as her father is. So we then see Colin Amond going through Flea's Bottom, trying to find Egon. Uh, we learn that Egon took Amon to Silk Street when he was 13 and told him it was time to get it wet. I, I regret the time that I went through Flea Bottom. <laughs> what I also found interesting, although not surprising, when they were talking about women, oh, Krispy Kreme is a bit of a religious fanatic. He's a bit of a, oh yeah, whatever the, the scepter says is good with me, gang, which is not a surprise. But uh, also then maybe explains if, for example, the queen, much like our system, the queen is God's, you know, the divine right of kings and queens, 
then that might also explain why he has this unwavering blind loyalty to who he believes is the rightful queen. It feels very much like it's Alison's influence, right? He was prepared to run away with Rhaenyra across the narrow sea. I, I definitely think it's Alison's influence on him now. Also, um, any individual's choice of faith can make a huge difference to how they see life. So I, I certainly don't judge Crispin for following that, even though obviously with Game of Thrones, we've seen, I guess, issues with when the faith have overstepped their influence. Yeah, well, he says that women are to be revered, and that's got to be much better than Egon's approach, right? At the brothel, they are told that his tastes are less discriminating. I mean, he's a rapist, right? Why would he pay? Definitely. And I think also just to, to piggyback off what you were saying, Neil, that's very much one of the things that is constantly discussed in Game of Thrones. There's nothing wrong be, with being religious and having your religion as long as you don't force it upon others. It's the moment in which you force it upon others that it is deemed as a bad thing, which is you know why we have all that weird stuff with Melisandre and how she then makes one of the Barat Stannis and, and then other people do all sorts of crazy things in the name of religion. Well, after the, the madam at the brothel recognises Amond and tells him how he's grown, we cut to Otto and the Lords, and he's basically asking everyone to pledge their loyalty now to Egon. And someone tries to leave and says he wants to think about it. And he says, you'll not leave this room without declaring your intention. Basically saying you won't leave this room alive unless you declare your intention to support Egon. This guy objects and also Lady Fell from House Fell, House Fell of Fellwood, which is sworn to Storm's End, uh, another sort of Baratheon link here. She's led out and that is enough to change Lord Caswell's mind. He chooses to bend the knee. And again, who do we see lurking? Strongman. Can I just say, Adam, I am very impressed that you have all this information. I know that possibly Corexis might use Google as part of its divination. But nonetheless, thank you. That is very impressive. I think what I wrote down about this scene was that the high towers are really choosing to rule with fear. And we've heard that phrase from uh, Rhaenyra and we heard it from Daenerys in Game of Thrones. And yeah, it's really interesting to see that choice actually play out in this world and what it looks like. And actually, it doesn't look that different to, you know, people who rule in, with fear in the real world. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and we also, I mean, this is kind of links to what we then see at the end of the episode, I suppose. But all this stuff around Otto is dark. There's not much light, even though the high towers are green. It's a very dark green. It's, everything's very menacing. It's not verdant. I also enjoy that kind of cinematography. So we see Eric and Arik doing their hunting of Egon. Uh, I love these two. I thought they were brilliant throughout this. But a pretty brutal scene where they're, they're watching kid fights. I think this is the lowest that Game of Thrones has got in terms of sort of behaviour. I 100% agree. I was I wrote down like, yeah, back in Flea Bottom, love it down here, get me to the Pleasure Palace. And then I was suddenly like, no, 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 don't want to leave now, very much now leave. Oh my God, it was horrendous. And also, I mean, it made the child brawl between the prince and princesses look, you know, positively tame. All these children in the pit fighting without any teeth was definitely something I'm not going to forget for a while. Well, the teeth are filed into fangs, right? So they sharpen the nails and they file the teeth so they can rip flesh off of each other. Some serious depravity. The, the tools they must use to file their teeth is just oh, pretty horrible. And it's safe to say that these performances probably wouldn't pass a health and safety check. <laughs> yeah, there's not, not, not many safeguarding laws going on, right? What this does give us is the central conflict between Eric and Arik, right? Eric doesn't believe that Egon is fit to be king. Do you see now what he is and you've not seen everything? And Arik is, is much more willing to just follow orders and do what he's do what he's told. And that's when we get to see Egon's bastard child, one of many I'd wager. Then we cut to Lord Caswell trying to leave. And then we get another scene with Amond and Kristen Cole. He's moaning about being a good soldier in search of a wastrel who's never taken half an interest in his birthright. And he thinks he should be king. So we see that Amond has got designs on the throne. After all, 
he's got the biggest dragon. I liked this uh, reveal in this scene a lot. And yeah, I think he, you know, he gives up the search for his brother, doesn't he? He's like, I'm, I'm not bloody doing this. I, you know, if he doesn't come back, then it's me next, right? This is great. You know, Damo last week actually said about Amon's pouting. Oof, it was much bigger when he was in a huff. Excuse me? <laughs> we, you can tell us off, um, off mic, Grace, about you and Eamon's, um and when it was bigger. But, well, it was also a great reminder that we've got a lot of dragon battles coming up. And he's got the biggest one. So, yeah, definitely yeah. a player in that, I think. Damo? Well, I mean, but not by much, right? Well, have you been measuring? Vagar is Vagar's- huge. So is Meles as well. True. Spoiler. Yeah. Amon says, uh, should they come looking for me, I intend to be found. And then Eric and Arik get approached by the White Worm's girl. She will only, the White Worm will only speak to the hand. And then we get Laris catching Caswell. I don't know whether we knew his title before, but he's the Lord Confessor and offers his help to Otto. Otto says, you spend a lot of time talking to my daughter. And he says, that can benefit you as well. I'm rushing through these quick little scenes that we have, but um, we next see Alicent and the Silent Sisters with Viserys' body, and she's again, we see her being upset. And this is when we get the scene with Alicent and Rhaenys. Just before we have that scene, I just want to say the way they're tending to that body is once again in the way of the seven gods, not the old god. I guess this is within our own history when Christianity changed around Henry VIII and it became the Church of England rather than Catholicism. But yeah, these things do happen. If I can, I would like to make a few quotes from um, Alison's... Bible? Um, oh. <laughs> no, I'm not going to quote from the Bible. Alison Arrhenius, the queen that never was, she said, we may not rule, but we can guide the men that do. And she also said, you deserve more than a window in your prison. And I found that a really interesting conversation and a really interesting scene. I'm very much involved with XR and protest there, but constantly reminded. uh, We're also in Black History Month at the moment with civil rights and um, the suffragettes, basically minorities that have really fought for their rights. And it made me think about that, that Alison really is in a prison because she's a female and because she's a high tower, her voice doesn't have any say. And right now, particularly in Black History Month, it just feels like it's really pertinent. Totally. I think the other thing that I found really remarkable about what Alison gets told is, you know, you are at the behest of your father, your husband and your son. You're a pawn for others. When will you finally step up and look out for yourself? Which I thought was really powerful. Yeah, that list was jabbing into Alison with every sort of man that she, what did she say? You toil still in your service to men. And then obviously at the end, we get the absolutely amazing moment where she asks her if she'd never, you know, wanted to sit on the Iron Throne. And I watched Alison's face super carefully in that moment to see how she reacted. And I felt like what, what crossed over her face was just, no one has ever asked me that before. Or it was, why have I never asked myself that before? And it was a real moment for Alison in this episode and quite a turning point, I think, for her in this episode. There was stuff that was being said on Twitter that suggested that Alison didn't survive this episode. And I'm really glad she has. I'm really hoping that she's going to contribute so much more to this early stage. Obviously, the Dance of the Dragons goes on for many years, but I'm really hoping that she still contributes at least for next episode, if not for the beginning of series two. I agree that all that's been said, I thought was a phenomenal scene. Um, um, one of Alison's lines was, a true queen counts the cost to her people. And it feels a bit like she, 
you know, she's taken some stuff from Viserys and that she doesn't want sort of war and strife and conflict necessarily. And she doesn't want Rhaenyra to be murdered and assassinated. But Rhaenys points out earlier on in the scene, you are usurping the throne. And she also says, the word of my house is not fickle. And we get a real sense that Rhaenys is struggling with, with what's happening. And she doesn't necessarily want to follow the High Towers down this road. But the key part of the conversation really is about the dragon. You know, what's going to happen to my dragon? Well, with your dragon on our side, we will. there won't be a problem here. The dragon could be a big game changer. And we saw that with Rhaenys at the end of this episode. And who knows what we're going to see next episode. I'm so excited about it. I think also what needs to be recognised as well is that she's in that situation. She's suddenly been, she's been locked in her room. She's been woken up to find that she's been locked in her room. Someone comes in and basically she knows that if she doesn't actively say, I'm with Hightowers, it could very well mean her death. So, yeah, should we move on? We get props to both the actors in that scene because it was, it was really, really good. We see Cole and Amond who spot Otto talking to the White Worm. It almost felt like Otto had never met her before. I mean, she she was definitely a source of his in an earlier episode, but maybe they hadn't ever met. Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, Adam here again, just to say, obviously, we realised that Otto had met Mysaria at Dragonstone in that earlier episode when they were trying to recover the egg that Damon had stolen. But, you know, that was years ago. How is Otto supposed to remember that? Or even us? But it turns out she's got the prince and she wants an end to the child fights which have been ignored or endorsed by the Crown. First, I think there's always been intermediaries, layers of the onion between the White Worm and other people for her own safety. My issue with this was, and regular listeners to this podcast are not going to be surprised, I don't know what was going on with that French accent. It was a little bit a lower low, sounded like maybe someone was from an African Francophone country speaking English. I don't know. And it it kind of really veered between those two. And I couldn't, I, I found it really difficult to listen to what she was saying. Amond and Aegon then get into a scrap, brother to brother. Yeah, there's one line that the that maybe Damien missed because he wasn't listening anymore. <laughs> there is no power but what the people allow you to take. I thought it was a really lovely line that, that she says. And, uh, you know, despite all of Otto's machinations behind the scenes, they were able to get Egon and secure him and get what they wanted out of the situation. But we do next see Eric and Eric finding Egon. He asks why they paid the White Worm. And he's told, you flee what other men die seeking. And then we get, yeah, a big scrap. So Cole and Eric fight. And Eric watches on as that's happening. So Eric, remember, is the one who doesn't want Aegon to be king. And then, yeah, Aemond and Aegon have a have a little wrestle. Aegon asks, you know, to sail away and never to be found again. And I think if Krispy Kreme hadn't been there, I think Aemond would have let him go. Well, at the moment, Aegon very much doesn't want to be king. But obviously that's not the same scenario by the end of the episode. It definitely feels like it changes. Jamie? Let's talk about the actual sword fight, shall we? It felt a little bit like the Italian Romeo and Juliet or something, or like a musical, a fight scene in a musical, I thought. The separating and running down the opposing stairs at each other. I felt like if you're actually going to have a fight, you're probably not going to separate and go around. You're probably going to stay up in each other's faces. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought so, I thought the Eamon and Aegon, Aegon, Jesus Christ, it's just too difficult. Everyone's got the same fucking name. Anyway, I thought I thought the discussions between one set of brothers was quite interesting. And then I guess the Dromeos to their Antiphili, how they separated. And as you said, Eric's, he didn't go and look after his brother. He need, Eric needed that backup at that point. And he just kind of looked and then, sorry, Adam's given me the old um, change, change the light bulb signal which means that i've got my harland brothers mixed up so eric's not happy and done a runner and left eric just face to face with old crispy cream himself can i petition the group to formally change crispy cream's name to dromio <laughs> allison has won the race anyway and otto congratulates her another really lovely scene here i thought between uh, allison and otto you know we were never one you used me 
And Alison kind of lays down her terms. So she's kind of maybe inspired by what Rhaenys has said to her. She's come up with her plan. Rhaenyra will be sent terms. Cole will be Lord Commander. Aegon will be anointed in front of everyone. And he will wear Aegon the, the Conqueror's crown and carry his sword, Blackfire. Also, great quote. Reluctant, I, I might be slightly misquoting this, but reluctance to murder is not a weakness. I believe Otto called her squeamish, uh, which which I really liked. And she was like, it's not squeamish, it's just lit reluctance to murder. Just... Speaking of squeamish, I'm, I'm about to move us on to the next scene. Please don't. Can we please don't. <laughs> Can we just talk about the weather or something? Oh, my God. I, I've never been someone who's been particularly keen on foot fetish. But this next scene with Alison and Lord Laris was really squeamish. Yeah, Laris the Lurker, right? Maybe that's what we should call him from now on. It's interesting because, like you said, Adam, that her staring down her father in reaction to to what to that previous conversation. But it feels like here this is yet another man that she has found herself beholden to, and so she has to as we see the discomfort at the end of that scene. We can talk about the scene without talking about the foot fetish because there is some important information that Laris gives. He asks the question, how did the hand get to Egon first? And then he reveals there's this web of spies in the Red Keep and talks about pulling the threads and points out that Talia is one of those. All the while, whenever she asks another question or wants some more information, she has to reveal a little bit more leg. Well, let's be fair. This has happened in other films. Paint me like your French women in Shrek. Feet have been used in an erogenous way. Maybe we shouldn't be as squeamish, but it did make me feel uncomfortable. It's safe to say that she bared her soul for Laris. I mean, it wasn't actually the foot fetish bit that got that, that made me feel a little bit sick to the stomach. It was when he started rubbing one off in her presence. Catherine bought the kids a s'mores pizza for their dessert today and they didn't really like it. So I ended up eating half of it. And I don't think that even that made me feel as sick as, as this scene did. I was really worried where that story was going, Adam. Also, what we can gather from the scene is this is not the first time that she's had to do this. Like there is an understanding between them that if she wants information from him, she'll flash a little white tight at angle, naughty, and then <laughs> remove the, the tights. But I just wrote down that I should have really guessed in my sweepstake last week as death, literally all sexual energy in the world ever. Absolutely, Grace. Um, I read down the exact same thing. This has clearly been done before because she knew what she had to do to get the information. There is no doubt that this is something that the two of them have done before. Yeah, to, to go back to, as you said, Grace, at the beginning of the episode, to feed the weaver, it's interesting. What is his game here? He's shored up a bit of an alliance with Hightower. He's saying to Alison, oh, there's a network of spies that you didn't know about, and I'm happy to kind of take that over. And, you know, he tells her in good faith, Talia, well, relatively good faith, Talia is part of that network. So what is he doing? He's just further cementing his place. Will we see him being able to mentally outmaneuver Otto? It's going to be fascinating to see what his end game is and where where he's heading with all of this, because I think he's he's definitely in a position of of power because he is, I mean, we almost get it, when we first meet him, that sort of idea of, of he's ignored and he's left to chat with the women because nobody really takes him seriously. Yeah, he also has that fantastic line of, when the queen dies, the bees fly without purpose, which I thought was a lovely little bit of uh, wordage. Especially as our, as our bees brie flew off at the, at the beginning of the episode. R.I.P. 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 Oh, <laughs> what you said about <laughs> what you said about Laris being in a position of power, he is. But also, I think he's in a weak position in a way because he has considerably sidled himself with the High Towers to the point where if they fall, he's almost definitely going to fall. And I think some of the best players in Game of Thrones and House of Dragon have been those that can pivot very quickly. And I don't see him being able to do that. So let's see. 
I think he's the new little finger, and I think he will survive many seasons to come. Or maybe the little toe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we then get a lovely little montage of all the key players in the Red Keep, finishing with Rainis. Did you like this little montage? I thought it was a bit of filler, to be honest. I was like, everyone, everyone pondering their options. I just like, we know, we know that, every, yeah, moving on. It just It's quite surprising, actually. They haven't really done that before, but I, I felt like it was a bit of filler. Yeah, possibly, but they took Rainis, the queen that never was, supposedly to escape. And obviously, it works out slightly differently. I did enjoy the montage. I don't think it was too self-indulgent. It was quite quite quick, and we've had we've had a couple of them, like really really short, quick ones in the series so far. Eric arrives to rescue Rainis and get her out of there. I wasn't sure in that moment whether it was Eric or whether it was Eric, and I was worried that it was a test that was going to end in her being just about to step on the boat and Hightower or someone popping out of the darkness to say, ah, there we go, send her to the, the jail. But we see, obviously, in that courtyard, a hanging body. There he is, Lord Lord Runaway, Brave Brave Sir Robin, is hanging from the rafters. Yeah, and also Queen Rainus, um, she gets caught up in this melee of peasants. Aegon is in a coach heading to be crowned. Am I right? Was that the cat's paw dagger? But it wasn't. It was um, Deathblade or whatever it's called. Ah, okay. I just wanted to say quickly about Lord Caswell, who we see hanging as they're making their escape. Um, We did joke about him being fair game for the sweepstake in the last episode, but (laughs) old Corridor Boy didn't make it through this one. Yeah, the, the thing I just wanted to say before we get back to what Neil was asking inside the carriage what was that building that was on fire? We saw a building on fire. Now, is that supposed to be the building that Rainus is in? Is this all an elaborate ruse so she can get out? I think that is the white worm and or Talia burning in that building. I think it's the cloak figure. We have Laris saying, I will deal with it. I think it's a totally separate issue to Rainus. They just happen to be passing through because we see this cloaked figure. It's not It's not Laris the clubfoot walking because he's walking normally. But yeah, that's, that's who I think that is. I don't think we'll see... The, I think it's either one or both uh, burned to death in that building. So you think the the white worm dies? Yes, that's that's my theory. Is that I mean I won't be predicting the white worm will tell you as a death <laughs> when we get to the sweepstake because I think there's a good chance that they're already dead. I'm assuming with the white worm you could cut her in half and she'd still live. Who is the white worm's master? Is she her own master, or is there some kind of Essos connection there? Because that information would be very useful for, say, the bankers of Bravosi. And I don't mean that as a euphemism. Well, she asks for the, the child fights to stop, doesn't she? So that's kind of her, feels like that's her end game. And she was, she used to be a prostitute, right? When um, she was with Damon. So maybe, maybe it is just she's a, a defender of the common folk. I did think that all of a sudden the sun's come out and I did think that Sir Eric was a little bit more conspicuous in in the daylight as they were all running from the common folk. The common folk are being herded like sheep and then we see some actual sheep. I loved that they were like, make sure everyone sees him getting crowned, especially the sheep. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of talk about him being named Viserys the Peaceful. That, That was very much about, I guess, branding him. Lot obviously lost questions about who could who should succeed him, but Aegon doesn't want to, and I feel like Alison is becoming such a, I guess, a version of Cersei in that her children absolutely come first at all points, and that is in a way a redeeming factor for her as a character. But we know where it led Cersei, and that kind of blood and fame lust. The fame lust and the blood lust that was being demonstrated by Aegon, clearly that's only going to go wrong. Well, the vibe I got was that initially Aegon knew it was all bullshit. He didn't believe his mum. He didn't believe that he'd said that. He wasn't interested in his, his dad wasn't interested in his whole life. Why would he suddenly at death's door want him to take over? And I, I quite enjoyed that. We've just seen, we've previously, we've seen him just be petulant, 
uh, giving into his base desires. And here we see there's a little bit more going on underneath the hood. And he's got enough critical thinking to know this reeks of bullshit, even though I am the one to massively gain from this. And it feels like it's the moment that blade gets put in his hand and he sees the Valyrian steel, something just clicks. Yeah, he's got daddy issues, hasn't he? So he could cross over and be, a, a you know, the main character in a Marvel movie. Yeah, <laughs> he, he absolutely thinks that the idea of him being is ridiculous. But you're right, that, that sight of that dagger and then, you know, the ceremony of him coming through and the crowd cheering, everyone bowing to him, all of his family, the people that he's, you know, had to follow their lead and their instructions, they all bow to him. So he's now suddenly realising that he's got this power. Also, I think crucial question in the carriage, which we see play out in the in the room, is asking Alison if she loves him. And she says, you're an imbecile, <laughs> which is an amazing response. But in the room, in that crowd, I mean, he is seeking adoration, he's seeking love, right? And then he's got thousands of people cheering for him. I mean, it's not going to be healthy, but that's sort of how I connected the two things together. And I just want to give a shout out for this series in general, because I feel like this House of Dragon has really been a season of epic entrances. I mean, we had Alison coming into the wedding, Rhaenyra's wedding. We had Viserys last episode. We had Aegon this episode. I think it's been a real, um, yeah, a real motif. And I've loved every single one. Definitely. I think that the establishing shot of the Septon or whatever from the outside as well just shows the size of the spectacle. I think that the thing that I got as we saw Rhaenys going towards there through those small tight passages in the crowd, I got a real Arya Stark going to the square before Ned gets beheaded. And I thought, yeah, something, something's going to happen here. Something's going to completely switch this up. There's a moment when Rhaenys is being pushed through the crowd where she looks up, sees something and smiles. And my note was, the dragon pit? Question mark. Rhaenys arriving on the dragon was just absolutely amazing and has set up, in my mind, what I'm expecting from next week's episode. I just love the way it all kicked off. She saw him walk through that kind of guard of honour. He was set. Everyone was totally focused on the coronation and she just goes oh i'm just gonna just gonna pop down this side alley actually don't don't mind me uh, in my cloak nothing to see here definitely not going to the dragon pits whatever you think is going on the dragon like coming through and all the chaos and the confusion amidst all the dust it was just you know visually it was also just stunning Again, great dragon action, really, really lovely stuff. Melis is phenomenal. There was two things for me. It was like, she could have burned them all to death Mm. right there and then, but she didn't. She had a show of strength and she made a choice not to do that. Basically saying, don't fuck with me, I've got a big dragon. You were talking about Egon asking Alison if she loved him. And, you know, she steps in front of him to Mm. protect him from, from the dragon. So like a clear sign that she's willing to do whatever it takes. Not that it would have been much help if she, if she had said Dracaris. Talking about the willingness to die for someone in your family, what I did find quite interesting as um, Aegon was getting completely drawn up in the spectacle of it all, was we see that shot. We see Alison kind of looking proudly and then we move down the line and we see Aemon looking at him like, yeah, I think I could have that actually. Yeah, everyone sort of bowed or curtsied and Aemon gave the most imperceptible little head bob well we know a amond is riding the largest dragon i just thought maybe you know she doesn't she doesn't say dracaris at the end i wonder if she wants the high towers to owe her something you know is that a long-term maneuver that she just made i meant to say and i forgot that yeah i think like you were saying before grace the real skillful players in the game of thrones know how to pivot and by doing that at no point has she she hasn't clearly said She's team Targaryen, even though it's clear that she is, and she's going to fuck off and tell Daenerys, Daenerys, sorry, goodness me, Rhaenyra. But she still just about kept her dragons pouring with the high towers. Nice. For the listeners, Grace did a little dragons pour. Great. So let's let's cover scores, first of all. There were only two points scored in this episode. It has been a low-scoring series for us. But yeah, two points for me for the 
kill by Kristen Cole. Kristen Cole is my killer. So that means that Grace is still in the lead on 14 points. I am now on nine points. Damien on two and Neil still yet to score. But we are going to pick two deaths and two killers and double points in the final episode. Now, before we get into this naming business, I have a question about the rules. We currently, Grace is already very excited about this. We currently score one point if someone is killed. Five points, sorry, two points. Gee, I'm getting confused with The Walking Dead here. So two points if someone is killed. One point if it was uh, someone from the Frozen Army. Uh, Five points if your character is killed. My question is, are we giving points for dragons being killed? Because surely that has to be more than five points if a dragon goes, right? No, I think it's still five points. <laughs> it's the same educated guess, dragon or human, David. Okay, yeah. fine. Unbelievable, great. It's me to go first this time. I, I sent a message in the WhatsApp saying, have a think about who you're going to pick. And now I'm wavering over who I'm going to pick. But I'm going to go for My killer is going to be Corexes. Uh, I've, I've been Corexes throughout the series, so it feels fitting that he's my killer. And my death is going to be... I'm going to go with Sir Eric. Damo. Right, I'm going to go for killer. What's Eamon's dragon called again? Vagar. I'm going to go killer... Vagar, Death, Luke. Nice. Damn it. Grace. Okay. I'm going to go with Killer, Renice's dragon. Her dragon. Melis. Melis. Thank you. And my Death, I'm coming out with the big guns. I'm going to go with Otto. You're all shaking your head at me. (laughs) (laughs) It could happen. Definitely could happen. Neil? Okay. I'm going to go Death, Alicent. And I'm going to go for Killer Damon. Very nice. Very nice. So my second killer is going to be a Mond. And my second death is going to be Kristen Cole. Are these bespoke or can we copy the second one? No, I think all exclusive. Always all exclusive in the form. All exclusive. Yeah, I think it has to be right. Uh, so do we know what Lucerus's dragon is called? Lucerus's dragon? Oh. Yeah, correct. Sees. Did he have one? He must have, He's right? He's definitely got one, yeah. Because I'm, I'm going for the double on that. Killer and death, I think. Lucerius's dragon. Arax. That's it. Arax. Death and killer. I think we're going to see some dead dragons, gang. Okay, so for my death, I'm going to go with Rhaenys. And for my killer... Oh, God. No one said Dromeo yet, have they? For killer. Kristen Cole. Yeah. Go for it. Okay, Neil. Has anyone said death, Kristen Cold yet? Yes. Neil, go with Talia. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to take Grace's suggestion. I hope she regrets it. Yeah, I'll go for Talia for death and killer. We had Eric for killer yet? No. Let's do it. Excellent. Damo. We just confirmed we have to see the person die that episode if tally was in the bonfire of the vanities last this episode i don't know just because we have had some slight changes to how we work things in the walking dead so i only want to give neil the fairness that we've given ourselves in the walking dead do let us know what you think of house of the dragon what you're looking forward to about the final episode on our social media at tv dna pod what else have you guys been watching anything I have actually watched stuff this week. I'll fly through this as quickly as possible. So I've watched the first 20 minutes of the first episode, Unteram, which is the new drama on Apple TV starring Charlie Hunnan. Still don't understand how that man has a career. Another charisma void. Bombay is beautiful. This show is dry as thing. He's very good looking though, Damo. Oh, he's very, he's, he's got a good, good physique and he takes his shirt off quite a lot. I'm I'm halfway through episode three, so I think I'm enjoying it a little bit more than you are. He's also a man that somehow always seems to work in which he has to do an accent that he cannot do, whether it be Green Street, Sons of Anarchy. He's got a really dodgy Australian accent. How does he keep getting work? (laughs) Bombay is is beautifully depicted in the show, really lovely colours. I mean, the cinematography on all Apple shows is always good, and uh, it doesn't let you down in this Talking about cinematography being one of the better things of a show, I also watched the Power of the Rings season finale this week. All right. 
fair enough. I'm back in for season two. I thought it was significantly better than anything we've seen this series. Lots of really good stuff. I'm glad that I guessed who the stranger was within five seconds of seeing him. So smug demo face. But I I might say it's almost worth, you know, forcing yourself through the rest of the series. They definitely saved all the good stuff for the final episode. I didn't get the review predict the reveals in advance um i didn't even know we were going to get reveals so it was all quite exciting for me but yeah i'm i'm in for season two in 2025 which i think is when it's due to come blimey so there'll be another billion spent on that season hopefully they move they shift a little bit more of that billion from the cgi into the the pacing of the scripts that would be nice i also started watching a new show on Netflix called Chloe, which is a post-Cold War falling of the Berlin Wall thriller in Berlin, where Chloe is a member of the Stasi, the Eastern Berlin secret police, who is imprisoned. It's not much of a spoiler, I don't think. Sorry, it might be now I think about it. But it's about her suddenly finding herself in a world where it's no longer East versus West and reunification of Germany. So I would recommend it. Really enjoyed the first episode. Just haven't had time to watch any more. Sounds good. Grace, how about you? Uh, Just two things. I mean, one which we spoke a tiny bit about, Adam, already, but literally what everybody is talking about, which is Bad Sisters on Apple TV. Uh, I've got three episodes left, desperately trying to avoid any finale spoilers. Absolutely loving that. I mean, yeah, there's so much to love about that. The writing, the characters, the sisterhood, the prick. It's just wonderful. Um, and the only other thing is Better Call Saul, which I you might have heard of, you two. Yeah, absolutely. I'm loving it. Of course I'm loving it. It's just, a, I mean, I just, I was speaking a tiny bit with Adam and Neil earlier, but Jimmy McGill is just like, just absolutely phenomenal character and every time that his moral compass presses down on him I just want to stop him (laughs) and also the other thing I just want to just mention about is like the detail of the shots is unbelievable like every every detail in every shot tells a story oh it's brilliant brilliant so first of all that's really brilliant that you're saying that because a lot of people bemoan the first series or two as the show was finding its feet. I didn't have that issue, but I know a lot of people did. So it's great that you're so along the road. How far along have you managed to get, mate? Not far at all. I'm probably about episode five of season one. (laughs) So I've just, I was mentioned earlier, I've just had the um, amazing episode with the billboard where he creates this whole facade of this man almost falling off and him saving it. I just, oh God, it was so good. It's so good. Yeah. And also absolutely loving Mike's origin story of copper turned parking attendant. <laughs> um, I just want to pick up on Bad Sisters because I have, I've finished the series now and it just keeps getting better and better. I think I, I was going to say some spoiler free stuff about the final episode, but I'm not going to because I don't even want to tempt any, anything at all to, to give any spoilers. But as you know, I've got a list of, of, of my favourite shows of the year so far and Bad Sisters went in at number two. OK, so first of all, what's number one? Uh, well, number one was Better Call Saul. Good. Was the correct answer? Was Better Call Saul. We'll come to that in a moment. Yes. Um, uh, well, no, 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 no. We'll deal with it now. Thank you very much. Well, did you have a question about Bad Sisters? Did we cover because I think you're, you've started watching, it, haven't you? Yes. So I was going to say I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. I've got some train journeys ahead of me this week, so my plan is to try and binge it as much as I can. Um, I love it. Uh, I love the Irishness of it. I like that it's a kind of small town in Ireland and all the beautiful stuff that goes around that. I mean, it's a beautiful location. The interplay between the sisters is fantastic. Think, and I think you two are the same, BB is probably my favourite. At the moment, BB is my favourite. I love how she just gives no shits. It's just a badass, BB. I'm going to try and binge this, but I feel like it's a show that doesn't necessarily work being binged. I feel like it needs its time between episodes. They're just both nodding. I think I think the more it goes on, the more you realise how much there is to talk about within it. And I think we've mentioned this off air, but I think we're going to aim to do a Bad Sisters special episode 
uh, maybe with uh, a guest star popping in. Um, not star of the show, a guest guest co-host popping in um, to talk about it because yeah, we've we've got mutual friends that's also enjoyed it. But yeah, the ending is incredible, and I think we we ought to give it when you both finished it. We ought to try and find a time to do a little recording about that. Another show that I finished this week is The Bear. I made a note last week that by the end of episode four, you're just in love with all of these characters. This is the story of Kami who takes over his brother's restaurant after his brother has died. He's given it in his will. It's a sort of a beef sandwich restaurant. And he's he was a chef at one of the best restaurants in the world. And it's going to show about all of the characters within that restaurant and also them dealing with his brother Mikey's death. And that hangs over it. There's a heaviness without it ever really becoming morbid, which is the shadow of, of Mikey. And it's just the way how and why he died is slowly but authentically teased out. The craziness of the penultimate episode and the final resolution are as close to perfection as one of Chef's beef sandwiches or Sydney's risotto. It's just brilliant, brilliant TV. I think you should stop whatever else you're watching unless it's Bad Sisters or Better Call Saul and watch The Bear. They're 30-minute episodes. There's only eight of them, I think. Four hours and you're done with this. And it's, it's definitely bingeable stuff. But I am struggling to decide whether this is now my top show of the year. Is it going to supplant Better Call Saul? It's, it's a conflict. Maybe I won't decide until the end of the year. But Bad Sisters is now, unfortunately, number three. Not to say that it's not a great show, Bad Sisters is fantastic, but I strongly urge anyone who hasn't watched The Bear yet to watch The Bear. It will be in the Emmys conversation. There's some stunning performances in there, um, but the show as a whole is incredible. So just remind me, what streaming service is The Bear available on? It's on Disney+. Plus. But yeah, really, really fantastic stuff. And I, I watched the last one today and yeah, gave me all the feels. I'll have to watch all three then, won't I? Keep going. Yeah, yeah you will. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, don't watch anything else other than other than those three shows. Just very quickly, a few others that I've finished. I got to the end of season two of Derry Girls, and I've ne I've got one more episode left of Derry Girls to watch. Why does it have to get so sad all the time? I keep it's it's brilliantly funny throughout, and then it just has these moments that hit you. So yeah, I think I've had a little weep at the end of each season so far. Something that hasn't made me cry is She-Hulk. Really loved the final episode of that, which was out last week. All in all, I think it's been a brave move from Marvel. I think they did the comic book character justice. It's a really enjoyable ride and that there's some great stuff in those final three episodes in particular. Um, so that I think was another big tick. I've started watching as well as Shantaram, I've started watching The Watcher. Who watches The Watcher? Me on Netflix. This is a Ryan Murphy show. It's got an amazing cast. You've got Naomi Watts and Bobby Cannavale who move into this new house. They buy their dream house uh, with their two kids. And then their neighbours are all bizarre characters. You've got Jennifer Coolidge, who plays the realtor, who sells them the house. Uh, you've got Mia Farrow in there and her brother, Terry Kinney, who's very odd. There's another couple. And then they start receiving these letters from somebody who is watching them and knows stuff that they shouldn't be able to know. And it's gripping and terrifying. It's quirky, definitely quirky in places. I'm um, only two episodes into this, but really enjoying The Watcher. Yeah, so that's been on uh, in the background whilst I've been editing uh, various Walking Dead episodes. Uh, Reluca is absolutely loving uh, that show. It's not my vibe, but I can totally see that it's a, it's a good piece of TV. Uh, you just reminded me of a story uh, that happened a few years ago. My housemate was making a cake in the kitchen and she got a text from an unknown number that said, can I have some of your cake? No way. <laughs> yeah. So she slept with a knife under her pillow that night. We still don't know. We still don't know what happened. It's Halloween yeah. soon, right? We can spook the listeners a little bit. That is a true story, though. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I'm scared. I'm going to hope it was just someone pranking her. I mean, getting a, a friend to text her that she didn't know. That's but a weird prank, though, isn't it? It is a weird prank, but I wouldn't put it past some people. Yeah. Ugh. 
I've got one more, one more that I've been watching, which is Wreck, which is on BBC iPlayer. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the last Walking Dead episode. It's got really, really good as it went along. It's it's uh, fresh and funny, just the right level of intrigue and mystery. But it's set on this cruise ship. It's a very young cast. They're all really you know interesting characters. But yeah, people are being bumped off on this boat. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon. Uh, well, Somewhere Boy came out on Sunday on Channel 4. When Danny was a baby, his mum was killed in a car crash. Overcome with grief, his dad bought a house in the middle of nowhere and locked Danny in, telling him that the world was full of monsters waiting to take him away, just like they took his mum. I'm going to be watching this one. The other one I wanted to mention was Peripheral, which comes out on Friday the 21st of October. Set in the future when technology has subtly altered society, a woman discovers a secret connection to an alternate re- reality as well as a dark future of her own. That's going to be on Amazon Prime. It's made by the people who made Westworld and stars Chloe Grace Moretz of Kick-Ass fame. And Handmaid's Tale, season five of The Handmaid's Tale, comes out this Sunday on Channel 4. I was just going to say that show before you mentioned The Handmaid's Tale starred uh, an actor who has as a double barrel first name both chloe and grace indeed there you go cool story huh yeah <laughs> yeah good well we look forward to the black queen the finale of house of the dragon next week who's going to see us out can i have some of cake you'll not leave this zoom without declaring your intention bye then okay bye bye i'm ready to feed the weaver I, I haven't connected it to a line or a scene, but I just wrote down Matt Smith, sexiest than ever. Um, I thought he was just amazing. He wasn't in this episode a huge amount, but I, I, it, it's a new crush for me. Matt Smith wasn't in this episode. <laughs> he was. Who? Which, which character are you referring to? <laughs> Damon. He wasn't in this episode. Yeah, he was. You talking about the re- you talking about the re- really, really briefly? No, just because you've googled a lot of pictures of him topless whilst you're watching the episode, Neil, doesn't mean he was in the episode. <laughs> he was for me. He was very much in my head whilst watching the episode. I mean, later on, Kristen Cole gets egg on his face. So, uh, what? <laughs> I didn't see that I, scene. I didn't see that scene either. <laughs> it was the same scene that Matt Smith was in. Yeah. <laughs> I found, I think what I, sorry, are we going to thank Damo for complimenting you? No, he thanked me. I was, you're, you're very welcome, is all I would say. You know, that's a thing. <laughs> Tough crowd. <laughs> Just been signed out from my account, apparently, because someone else has signed into my Zoom. Oh. Start again. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, start again. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, brilliant, sorry. Can I have some of your cake? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, good. Well, we look forward to the Black Queen, the finale of House of the Dragon next week. <laughs> You're not meant to say anything after the, the outro. We, we haven't done the socials either. I did. I, I briefly mentioned the socials. Oh, and then I zoned out. Apologies. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, another example of us not knowing how to sign off. <laughs> yeah, you froze. I didn't hear what happened. <laughs> I said, "You'll not leave this Zoom without declaring your intention." <laughs>